Isn't it great at eight? That's what the SEC wants you to believe after the conference meekly kicked the can forward on its conference schedule. The SEC will continue to play just eight conference games in 2024, even as the conference swells to 16 members with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas. We'll get into that today on SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. In addition to the conference scheduling, we'll talk the latest in conference realignment as uh, Colorado apparently ponders a reunion with the Big 12, what that might mean. But first, John, I was down in... uh, Miramar Beach, Florida, last week for the SEC spring meetings, where the main topic was would the SEC go to nine games or stay at eight, as we've discussed on this pod before. And the SEC decided they weren't going to do anything long term. They just approved a one year stopgap, and they're going to stay at the eight game conference schedule. The SEC and the ACC will be the only conferences still playing eight conference games. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I wasn't shocked because the SEC, one of its best moves is, uh, we'll just think about this a little more and get back to you. Uh, maybe maybe in July, maybe in December, or maybe next year. So that wasn't really surprising. Um, it's uh, a number of my columnist buddies pretty much, and you weighed in on this too. A lot of, I mean, it's kind of a... a Here's the big bad SEC saying the SEC just means more playing less. Uh, Image-wise, it's it's a bad look, but I don't think the SEC cares. Uh, just from, uh, you know, other conferences can lampoon the SEC for, oh, they're afraid to play nine games, but the SEC will, uh, will survive this. I would have liked – my whole thing is I want to see more good games. That that's and I think that's what most most fans want. They just want they hate going out there on a Saturday when you're playing somebody and you're forty point favorite, and there's no suspense. Is uh, you don't even know if you want to bet on a team and give that many points. So it's just uh, that's what I would like to see. I don't think that comes into consideration very much. Certainly not with coaches. Uh, I wonder if it does even with university presidents who pretty much. Uh, you know, they, they kind of like to, I mean, the Alabama, you know, the Alabama administration, whatever Nick Saban says, they're going to say, Hey, great idea, coach. Yeah. I we thought can, he was the president. Is he not the president slash coach? Well, not officially. He doesn't have that oh. title. I think oh, they okay. gave him a choice. Do you want us to call you coach, chancellor, president, or emperor? And Nick's always been a coach and he just went with the coach thing. Kind of an emperor as as well. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you mentioned that the SEC is already being criticized, will continue to be criticized. That's that's all well and good. That's, that's stuff for people like us to do uh, from the peanut gallery. The, the real question, I think, is will this affect them? And we heard Greg Sankey say on the Paul Feinbaum show last week, well, all you needed to do was watch Georgia thrash TCU in the national championship if you're wondering – about the strength of this conference and, you know, is this conference, you know, really as good as it seems despite playing eight conference games? Well, 
I mean, no one is questioning whether the top team in the SEC should be in the college football playoff. Nobody was saying, oh, Georgia shouldn't be in the college football playoff. I think I think Greg Sankey is is trying to do some uh, uh, some communications maneuvering there, a little PR uh, spin on the on his conference staying in eight conference games because that's that's not what anybody's talking about. Nobody's talking about the keeping the SEC champion out of the college football playoff. I think the the larger point here will be as the playoff goes to twelve teams in twenty twenty four and the SEC is still playing eight conference games while many of its peers play nine. Most SEC teams will be playing nine Power Five opponents. Their eight conference games plus one Power Five non-conference opponent, while many of their peers play ten Power Five opponents. Will the SEC be held accountable in some of those at-large playoff selections where you're splitting hairs? You, you may have two teams with the same record. One team's from the Big Ten, one team's from the SEC. Big Ten plays more Power Five games. Will the playoff selection committee hold the SEC accountable in, in selections? Will they hold them accountable in seeding? Again, we're not talking about the, the SEC champion being snubbed in, in selection here. Yeah, if Georgia, if Georgia's as good as they were last year, of course, Greg Sankey, they're going to get in the playoff and they'll probably win another national championship. But what about your third best team? What about your fourth best team? Are they going to be held accountable by the playoff selection committee? What do you think? Do you think the big bad SEC will kind of get by on its name, its pedigree, and, and the playoff selection committee will say, we don't care how many conference games you play. We'll take three or four of your teams every year. Or do you think this could backfire? I think it has the potential to backfire because I think there there's a backlash against the SEC anyway. It's kind of the rest of college football against the SEC. I mean, everybody knows it's the best conference, has the most players drafted, has the highest recruiting ranking, and wins the most national championships going for four in a row. It had seven in a row not that long ago. So I, I think what it could come down to, and you sort of present that scenario, what if a Big Ten team, let's say Wisconsin, they're always in, Wisconsin's always in the outside looking in, uh, kind of a wannabe. What if the Wisconsin uh, manages to go 10 and two? Okay, it, Ohio State wins the conference. Big uh, Michigan's a runner-up, but Wisconsin's sitting there at ten and two, and you have let's say I don't know. Let's pick uh, Tennessee, an up-and-coming program. What if it's nine and three? It's lost to uh, Alabama and Georgia and one other SEC team. That's uh, pretty strong in that conference. But one way to look at it, if you're when you start looking for tiebreakers. What you don't want is anything that raises a red flag and gives a selection committee member a reason to say, well, you know, they don't play but eight conference games. And, uh, you know, that that went over UTS San Antonio just doesn't quicken my pulse. So I, I think that to me that could backfire. And, and maybe I'm overthinking it a bit. Because you you figure that the SEC being the best conference, if you play an SEC schedule, you're going to have a high ranking uh, in terms of strength of schedule. But uh, if somebody, maybe Penn State would have been a better example than than uh, Wisconsin. What if Penn State loses to Ohio State and Michigan? Yeah, and runs the table otherwise. And runs the a table, yeah. And see, mm -hmm. then it's Penn State. Even at 10-2, and two, if it's losses... Tennessee is 10 and 2. 
with losses to Alabama and Georgia. Penn State is 10 and 2 with losses to Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, then you're looking for a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I I, th- I think they could be held accountable, John. We've seen in the four-team playoff, the eight-game schedule worked wonders for the SEC. It was, I mean, they've, they've, they've won four national titles here in a row, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, and then Georgia. And as you said, you go back further. I mean, they really dominated both the playoff and the BCS era. So despite folks like you and I wishing – that we could see more good games, more conference games. There was really never any compelling reason for the SEC to do it. They were winning national championships in the old system. But that was a system about catering to the elite. You wanted to position your elite teams in the best spot to go out and win the national championship, whether that was in the BCS, in which the goal was to just lose as few games as possible, or in the playoff era, you go 13-0 and or 12-1 and from the SEC, you're in. But in this 12-team playoff, it's you know I, I can't think it's just about catering to the elite. You want to stockpile as many bids as possible. You know you want to also keep in mind your third and fourth and fifth best teams in this conference because by rule, every conference now, including the SEC, will be eligible for up to seven bids: one auto bid plus six at large. Now the SEC is not going to get seven bids, but if the playoff selection committee had a lot of respect for the conference in a particular year. You could see where they could get maybe four, maybe even five bids in a year. Snag four of the six at-large bids. That might be a stretch, but three of the the six at-large bids, I don't think that is a stretch if the playoff selection committee had you know a deep respect for the conference and the schedule they were playing. So I, I do think this is um, has the potential, has the potential to cost the SEC in 2024. And all it would take would be one year. You know, if the SEC hasn't gone to nine games already by that point you know, for 2025 and beyond, all it would take would be one year of them being held accountable for the selection committee. And then I think you'd see them go to nine. But, you know, the other part of this is we heard Greg Sankey say in Florida this week, well, you know, money shouldn't dictate decisions. Uh, you make good decisions and then money follows. Eh, okay. Uh, That's what the okay. commissioner said. But uh, my ear was tuned to the whispers in the hallways from the athletics directors, um, you know, and other athletics high-ranking personnel, and, and you heard that ESPN money come up a lot. And and apparently ESPN didn't want to kick in any, any extra money for the ninth conference game. And so, you know, the SEC brass said, we're not going to give it away to you for free, so we'll hold out. We'll play eight and, and see if ESPN comes to the table with more money down the road. But my question is, what if they don't? You know, <laughs> I mean, ESPN, you look at Disney's share price lately. I don't know how much money they got laying around right now to pay for a ninth conference game. So what if they don't come to the table? You're just going to play eight games and, uh, and and come what may? I don't know. ESPN might might stay in this game of chicken with the SEC and see who caves first. Yeah, they don't want to have to lay off Mickey. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, th- I think uh, another thing to look at, what a, a route it could have taken, uh, ESPN aside, money aside, the – uh, supposedly, if it really isn't moved by the jingle jangle, uh, what if uh, what if the SEC had said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try this. We're gonna have an, a stopgap measure. We're gonna postpone our permanent schedule just like it's done, except we're gonna play nine games 
we're going to play nine games and see how we're treated. Do we get, do we get respect, more respect, uh, for going to nine games? Um, that to me would be a, a reasonable move. And you can say, okay, we feel like we got shafted by the uh, selection committee. Um, so we're going back to eight games and there's nothing you can do about it. ESPN. Yeah. By the way, John Penn state, their, their power five non-conference game is a road game at West Virginia in 2024. So if Penn state's sitting at 10 and two with a road win at West Virginia, and their only losses are to Ohio state and Michigan, and they played 10 power five opponents. hmm, I wouldn't want to be that sec team going up against them for the final spot. I think the big 10 gets three and whatever that last SEC team was that was hoping to get in, uh, you're left wishing you didn't play directional state you and we're playing another, another real opponent. Yeah, that's, that's a very real possibility. I really think uh, there's a good chance. To, uh, I think it may come down to the fourth SEC team. Yeah. I think could. The, top, mm-hmm. the top three SEC teams could be in like how much of this we're talking about, the upper echelon, the uh, championship contenders and the rising programs like Tennessee that certainly would be a viable contender in a 12-team playoff. What about down at the bottom, these teams trying to scratch out six wins and get in a bowl game? Do you think that had – does anybody say, oh, yeah, we got to we gotta take care of those guys. We got to get that 6-6 uh, six and six Missouri game, team – in a bowl game against a military school. Um, I, I wonder if that if they have much of a voice. Yeah, I think there were a few different camps here for why this didn't the nine game schedule didn't get across the finish line. And you know, if you look at the vote, Greg Sankey says it was a unanimous vote, but come on, we know the, the opinion was split here. And once the once the tide started going for another direction, yeah. I don't know if you watch success succession, John, but there's a there's a scene and in season one, where one of the boys, Roman, is going to vote, vote a no to vote, uh, a vote of no confidence to try to kick his dad out in charge of the company. Well, his dad's in the room, and so as Roman starts to vote, you know, his dad kind of has a few choice words for him and gives him a look, and well, then Roman puts his hand down. He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> end up. But, you know, you kind of get the sense that that's kind of what this was. You see the votes going a certain way, and you're like, ah, sure, I'm going to go vote for nine. No, no, Nick Saban, you know, gives you. A, an evil stare and you put your hand down. Um, but no, I think there was a few camps that probably formed here. I think you had the group, as you said, that are worried about getting to six and six in a bowl game. And so they don't want to go to nine conference games because that interrupts their tour of the Mac. Uh, how do you get to play three Mac opponents and a, and, a, and uh, you know, an FCS? So I guess it'd be two Mac opponents and an FCS. You can't do that if you're playing nine conference games. So you had that camp. I think you had the camp that would have voted for it uh, if more ESPN money came to the table, uh, and it was it, it truly was about money. They would have gone whichever way the the, the money went. Um, I think you had the camp that maybe was using non conference games as an excuse, like ah, well, we already got our non conference schedule filled out for 2024. If we had another conference game, we'll have to cut a check to someone for a million bucks to cancel a non conference game. When we all know in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of a drop in the bucket, and you probably make it up by playing an extra conference game. Um, so you had that camp, and then I think you had the camp that probably truly just didn't care one way or the other, and whichever way the vote was leaning, that's the way they were they were going to go. 
Um, the, the one silver lining to this, John, if there's any, uh, from my perspective, is because it's only one year so far, because it's just for 2024 so far, the primary and secondary rivalries can all be preserved for a year. You know, we talked about one of the downsides to the eight game model was it was a one seven model. You had one permanent rival and then seven rotating opponents that would flip flop every other year. And so that would lead to the interruption of secondary rivalries like Alabama, Tennessee, like Auburn, Georgia, on down the line. However, because this is just for one one year at the moment, it's just for 2024, you can just make sure all those secondary rivalries are among the seven. You know, you got your permanent rival. So for Alabama, that'd be Auburn. For Tennessee, that's Vanderbilt. For Georgia, that's Florida. Um, most of these you can you can probably predict. But then those secondary games, just magically they appear as as one of the other seven games on your schedule, right? Auburn, Tennessee, or, or excuse me, Alabama, Tennessee, you'd have that. Presumably you'll have Texas, Texas A&M as the secondary rival for those teams behind Texas, Oklahoma. So where you lose those secondary rivalries on an annual basis is if this goes beyond 2024. If this, if the SEC decides they just want to stick with this eight gamer, you know, for, for several years down the line, then you're going to see some of those secondary rivalries fall away on an annual basis. Um, however, for the one-year stopgap, we don't know what the schedules are yet. They, they, they decided they're going to have a television show on June 14th to do the to the big schedule reveal. But I just got a sneaky suspicion that uh, all those secondary rivalries are going to be preserved for this, this one-year stopgap. What do you think? I think that's a very good possibility. Um, you know, you're, you're losing – you're kind of accustomed to uh, teams playing in divisional play. So you're playing the same teams every year in your division and – I guess that Missouri Vanderbilt game could be a casualty of this. Uh, I would like to see it remain. I know, I know you, you love would that too. one. Yeah, and you've covered Missouri. I I've, I saw a couple of t- Missouri uh, Vanderbilt games that were compelling, not not artistically so, but interesting. I thought. Yeah, I, I covered a punt fest one year. I, what year was it? it? Might have been 2015, 2016. Uh, one of those years. Uh, there's like a record number of punts in that game. It's like first team to bang through a couple of field goals wins. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. The the battle for field position. Yeah. What, what's the, it. what are, you know, when you, when you think about those secondary rivalries that kind of have to be preserved in this one year stop gap, I mentioned uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia. Um, I think the renewal of Texas, Texas A&M, it, it would be a real shame first year Texas in, is is joining the conference and, and we don't get Texas Texas A&M come on that's that's got to be on the docket right sure. uh, is there is there another one or two that comes to your mind that you think uh, not so much that we know the egg bowl is going to be on the schedule right we know the iron bowl is going to be on the schedule but maybe one or two others of that secondary rivalry that you think uh, they'll just they'll just happen to be on the schedule here in, in 2024 what a, what a surprise that will be in the big June 14th Schedule well, uh, again, uh, picking on Missouri, uh, isn't there a isn't there some trophy at stake when Missouri plays? Is it Arkansas or if, 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 who is? Yeah, the battle line. Oh, the, the battle, battle line. line. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you want to see that one? Yeah, mm, yeah. How, yeah. 
I, I get. I mean, I like those things when there's something at stake. Some teams are playing for the playoffs. Some are playing for a uh, for a bowl bid, and and others are playing for a giant axe or something. I, I think that's a part of the pageantry of college football. Uh, I also, it seems like Kentucky and Vanderbilt always play in November. I've kind of got accustomed to that. Uh, well, you just like these bad games. <laughs> well, I think they can be very, um, very interesting. It, it's an odd things happen in them. How about L- Alabama LSU, John? Because we know, okay, the Iron Bowl is going to be the primary rival in, in this uh, this eight game model. And if Texas and Oklahoma get paired as rivals, that leaves Texas A and M with LSU. But again, we've heard Greg Sankey say for 2024, rivalries are going to be kept in mind in this eight-game schedule. Uh, Now, Nick Saban, this spring in an interview with Sports Illustrated, complained about the idea of having to play Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee every year in the nine-game model that did not get approved. You know, the nine-game model would have had three rivals per team. Those were going to be Alabama's earmarked rivals. Nick Saban in those comments to SI kind of groaned about that that idea. Well, guess what? I think Alabama could wind up playing all three teams in 2024 anyway. They're, they're going to get the Iron Bowl, and I would not be surprised to see Tennessee and LSU uh, on, that, on that docket as, as well as those rivalries are preserved until, in Greg Sankey's mind, you know, maybe this eventually does go to nine games in 2025 or beyond. I know, but does he want to get on Nick Saban's bad side? That's the question. Does Nick make a call? I, I, I just wonder. Uh, if if Alabama's not playing all three of those teams in an eight-game conference schedule, uh, you have to wonder if, if Nick made a call and that he's sort of the, uh, you know, uh, not, not commissioner, but uh, – Emperor, as you said he's earlier. Emperor. He's the emperor of the SEC. He's a consultant in, in important matters. Uh, I think what's interesting about that, if Nick would have been very upset if Ed Orgeron were still coaching LSU, Jeremy Pruitt were still coaching Tennessee, and Brian Harson was leading Auburn into the abyss. Yeah, I, I think that it, it is a testament to um, – <laughs> to who those schools have in place right at this moment. You're right. If you would have do- turned back the clock just a couple years, uh, even though Ed Ogeron and LSU had the, the memorable 2019 season led by Joe Burrow and the undefeated championship, yeah, I think Nick Saban would have taken his chances against Eddie O and Jeremy Pruitt every year. But now, <clears throat> suddenly with with Brian Kelly and, and Josh Heupel installed there, that lineup may not look so good. But We'll see. You're right, John. There's always a chance the the conference and the league office could could kowtow to Alabama's wishes, and maybe we won't have Alabama LSU in 2024. But I kind of think we are. I, I kind of think there's going to be, um, you know, this message coming from the league. Okay, you don't want to play nine conference games. These games, these guys as your rival, we'll just give them to you in an eight game conference schedule. Uh, see how you see how you like that. There could be some compromise going on here. Yeah, you have to play those three teams, but you also get to play Vanderbilt and Missouri. Yeah, I think that's what'll happen. I, I think they'll play those three rivals, maybe one other good opponent. Um, 
you know, from that upper echelon, say a Texas or a Texas A&M or something, and then they get the cupcake row uh, headlined by Vanderbilt and a couple of others to sort of balance the scales there of, of those other those other rivals. In, in a fair fair scheduling, I think Vanderbilt would need to play the the top eight teams in the league. We'd lose that Kentucky rivalry, perhaps, but I think that's only fair in Missouri as well. Maybe, uh, maybe everybody else will be playing eight conference games, and Vanderbilt will be playing fifteen conference games. They somehow appear on ev- on everybody's schedule. Uh, a team that might be playing different conference games sometime down the road. John Colorado has been making a lot of headlines lately, and it's not just because of of Coach Prime out there in Boulder. Uh, Numerous media reports here in about the last 10 days linking Colorado uh, with a possible return to the Big 12 as uh, the Pac-12 remains in uh, hurry-up-and-wait mode for its media rights deal. That media rights deal expires next year, and we've been reading for months how the Pac-12 is close. They're close. They're close to a media rights deal. Well, evidently, they weren't, haven't been that close because there's still been no media rights deal finalized. And as we've seen with realignment in the past, if you're a school in a vulnerable conference that has a expiring media rights deal, that leaves you know that that leaves you open to raids. That leaves that conference open to raids. That's that helped the SEC to get Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Twelve had an expiring media rights deal um, that helped the Big Ten snag away UCLA and USC and now Colorado apparently is the uh, the latest Pac-12 school contemplating its future. Uh, we've seen Colorado and in, in the Big 12 before. Obviously, it was involved in the last major round of conference realignment a little more than a decade ago. Um, the Big 12 has changed a lot. You know, they could come back to the Big 12 and you're not going to have the renewal of uh, Nebraska, Colorado, because Nebraska is now in the in the Big Ten. But do you think Colorado to the Big Twelve would make sense? And where do you see the Big Twelve kind of in the conference pecking order here? They've lost Oklahoma and Texas after this year, but we know they've already gained BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. If they could peel off. A couple other Pac-12 schools, Colorado, and say maybe Utah, maybe a couple others. Does that that change the way you look at the Big 12? I like what the Big 12 has done so far. The teams it's added, um, UCF, Houston. I mean, Houston was in the old Southwest Conference. Houston has a lot to offer in terms of football. I think you put Houston in this league, it's going to get better. Because if you can just get the best players in the Houston Metroplex, you're going to win a lot of football games. So I I, I much prefer the Big 12 to uh, the Pac-12. Uh, and in terms of just watchability, is that a word? I probably ESPN has coined it at some point. Uh, I, wa- I would rather watch a Big 12 game than an ACC game or a, a Pac-12 game, just generally. I like some of those teams. And I think Oklahoma State, Baylor, those are pretty solid programs now. I I, I like those what those programs can do. Even Iowa State has had some success. I like Colorado coming back to that league. I just think uh, – I don't know. I, I just think Ralphie is probably my 
second to Uga is my favorite mascot. I love seeing Ralphie charge on the field there in Boulder. Uh, but I would, uh, I think Ralphie fits better in the Big 12, the High Plains, the, you know, West Texas. Uh, yeah, then, you know, then, then Oregon and California. I, I just, you know, uh, Ralphie just, uh, you, you can't see Ralphie running down the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> or rumbling across the Berkeley campus. <laughs> no, uh, but but I can see him, you know, uh, rambling through Stillwater, Oklahoma. So yeah, I, I would I would like that. That's uh, I like the old Big Eight years ago. Yeah. Now I have more important questions to follow here, John. But uh, you mentioned Uga being your your favorite mascot. There's there's a lot of dog mascots. Um, you know, in the SEC, Tennessee's got one. Texas A and M has one. Uh, Mississippi State, right? They're the they're the Bulldogs as well. How did Uga rise to the top of your charts? Well, I like dogs, but I like cats too. It, what I like about Uga is uh, he doesn't take things too seriously. No matter mm. how big of the game is, he's got his house. He's got an ice house there on on hot days, <laughs> and it's almost like yeah, the game is happening around him. You uh-huh. can go to the game, and I bet there's some fans that just have binoculars and watch Ugga there at San- Sanford Stadium. Oh, look, I think I saw his ear twitch. Oh, my gosh, his nose moved. But I really think Ugga can go an entire game. Georgia could be playing for the national championship, not against TCU, but uh, in a competitive game, and Ugga might not move. And And to me... It gives the team a sense of confidence. Mm. There's no. He kind of reminds me of the. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of that fan. Say Georgia, I believe, plays like UT Martin this year. Uh, <laughs> one of those games that have to be played because you can't play a ninth conference game, so they fill it up with games like UT Martin. And uh, it reminds me of that fan that knows hey, it's UT Martin today. I'm going to suck down about mm, 14 fireball shots in the pregame tailgate. <laughs> And then, yeah, I might saunter into the stadium in the second quarter. There will be a game going on around me, uh-huh. but I got 14 shots of fireball in my belly. I don't really care about the game. Um, I'm approaching a comatose state here mm-hmm. somewhere around halftime, um, and it's just not a care in the world. That's that's ugly to me. Like you said, not a care in the world. He's just hanging out in the doghouse on the sidelines. Who cares if football's being played? <laughs> I'm a, and, and just going in the opposite direction, mascot wise. I mean, there's the, that's kind of Ralphie's kind of the antithesis of uh, Uga, but but I love absolutely love seeing that Oklahoma schooner roar yeah, out do. into a stadium yeah. because you just don't know if it's going to make the sharp turns. I mean, there's a suspense there (laughs) or one of those wheels comes off the wagon and you see people bailing out. It's just a great scene. Yeah, we will have to wait to that June 14th schedule reveal to see uh, what Oklahoma's first SEC game will be. But I I think whoever they're playing, you need to be there to see the schooner. (laughs) Um, And then they're in their first uh, their maiden voyage as an SEC team. Love that. Yeah. 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 Getting back to, to Colorado, John, we, we hear about these these four corner schools that you know, to some degree, apparently the Big 12 has interest in that with Colorado. It seems like maybe the, the talks are are most serious, but the, the so-called four corner schools, 
are Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. Um, I think you could make a case that in terms of, of brand, fit, image, what have you, that, that all four of those schools would make some sense with the Big 12. And, and we know the Big 12, you know, they got a media rights deal inked last year. Uh, it's, it's with ESPN and Fox Sports. And while it may not reach uh, the, the crazy dollars that are going to the, the Big 10, and the SEC, it seemed to provide uh, some stabilization there. Getting getting a new media rights deal with ESPN and Fox Sports steadied the ship for the Big 12. Do you think all four of those four corner schools that I mentioned, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, would they be better off, do you think, saying, see you later, Pac-12, we're going to link up with the Big 12 and it's going to be the Big 16? Uh, or do you think they would be a little wiser to stay the course and see what shakes out of this uh, this meteorite deal for the Pac-12 that, of, that of course, John, is coming, quote, soon. It's right around the corner. I think Utah would probably just as soon stay in the Pac-12 because it's just a tougher, more physical team than any of those programs in that league. And uh, Southern California can come in with all, the, all of the accolades and all the glitz and glamour that Hollywood uh, presents and then just get hammered by Utah. Just can't man up with those guys. Arizona and Arizona State, I, I really don't know what those schools lost. I uh, add to anything. I, mean, I, love the, I love the state. I like visiting Arizona. Yeah. Well, how about and, Arizona basketball? I mean, the Big 12's been a really good basketball well, Oh, conference. yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to – I'm just looking at it strictly through a football prism here. But I look at – Honestly, it seems to me, and I know this isn't accurate, but this is just my uh, distant view, that Arizona and Arizona State have the same record every year and go to the you've, same boat. You've game. turned them into the same team. Yeah, I just, I, I know they wear different uniforms and all, but I just can't distinguish it. Watching one of those games late at night, one of those teams is playing and it just, you know, it's like, well, they could. What if they brought Arizona in here? Would it be any different? And the game would go any differently? No, I don't think so. It's just they're interchangeable. But I would, I mean, I would if I were those schools. Yeah, I would. I would get out of the. I would get out of the Pac-12, and I don't know what that would do to the Pac-12. And there's always, I mean, some alarmist. There's the theory that California will one day just plummet into the ocean. Do you want your team to be playing there when it does? I don't think so. So, yeah, let's go to the Big 12 and uh, just continue to be mediocre. Well, for the Big 10's sake, I hope I hope Los Angeles isn't among those plummeting into the ocean since uh, it, it went to uh, California for its uh, latest conference expansion raid. All right, one more thing I want to run by you, John. This has been something I've been uh, pondering for a while now threw it out there to some of my media colleagues while I was in Destin. In the aftermath of Bryce Young's departure to the NFL, Stetson Bennett's departure, some of the other superstars that were in the SEC in the football ranks last year, and you have LSU women's basketball coming off a national championship. Angel Reese, um, you know, like her, dislike her. Yeah, everybody, if you weren't already aware of her, seemed like you became aware of her during the NCAA tournament run. You can't see her. Uh, she's pointing to her championship ring. She's taunting her way to a national championship. I thought thought it was great theater. Some other people 
uh, didn't care for it so much, but everybody had an opinion on it. Since then, Angel Reese is, she's been in SI's swimsuit edition. She's been in, in music videos. Um, she's got NIL deals stacking up on top of each other. So my question to you, John, is going into the 2023-24 athletic season, so starting next year, is Angel Reese, women's basketball player, the most prominent athlete right now in the SEC? And if so, could you think of another instance where maybe a women's basketball player was the most prominent athlete in this conference? Um, they've had some great basketball, women's basketball players in this league. Shamiqua Hoskla, Tamika Ketchens, Candace Parker, all from Tennessee come to mind. Uh, but no, there's never – this is a social media-driven thing. That has so much to do with it, I believe. And also, it's personality. And I attribute a lot of this to Kim Mulkey, uh, LSU's coach. She lets players be themselves once they're outside the lines that can be good or bad, but she's all, uh, it's all kind of come together. You have a high profile coach now, a national now four time national championship coach having won three at Baylor. And then Angel Reese comes out and look, she LSU might have three of the most prominent. Well, They've added two transfer players from DePaul. They um, added, what's her name? Oh, gosh. Haley Van Lith from uh, No, that's from, from Louisville. Louisville. But then yeah. the, the DePaul, she averaged like 25 points a game. I drew a blank on her name. But anyway, they've got three of the most high-profile players in the country. Haley Van Lith also has a big personality. I think it's Anissa Morris. Is the, yeah, Anissa Morrow. Mm-hmm. Morrow, that's it from mm-hmm. the – yeah. So they all and and Kim Mulkey encourages this. So I think she could be Angel Reese very well could be the best known SEC player in any sport. But then you've got Olivia Dunn in uh, in gymnastics. Yeah, I think the, the the difference between those two, and they they've both you know crushed it in the NIL space. Those those two LSU women athletes and, and Olivia Dunn, you know, she's competing in, in SEC gymnastics. Um, so that's certainly a feather in her, in her cap, but, um, you know, in terms of on field performance, Angel Reese is a superstar. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the, the, the off field, the NIL stuff, the off court stuff has really elevated her, her prominence, no question about it, but she's also, um, you know, one of the best women's basketball players in the country. So she's kind of got it going at at both ends. Right. Um, And I'd look around in football. Normally there's that one or two quarterbacks that you would say, okay, this person is kind of the, the athletic face of the conference. Well, right now, but, but yeah, I mean, I I think we don't see that. I mean, is Spencer Rattler the best known quarterback in the conference right now? I'm not saying he would be the first guy I'd take in a, draft of sec quarterbacks i'd probably take kj jefferson or Jaden daniels but i just don't know that there's that like a list household name where you could go kind of down a, a street in in the south or main street usa and say you know boy isn't, isn't kj jefferson gonna have a monster season this year folks in arkansas know that uh but i think you could you'd have a better chance of, of walking down a street um 
you know, some random location and say, what do you think of Angel Reese? <laughs> I think most people probably, at least if you follow sports at all, you probably know who she is and who she plays for. Well, and, and the thing about the great thing about her is there's no apathy regarding her. People either really like her. Oh man, she's great. She's just out there. What you going to say? What you going to do? And then other people say that just a horrible sport, just uh, hurts the game, just no sportsmanship. It's bad for the sport. You get that going both ways. It's really popular, but you're right. I was trying to think back. This is not a star power season for the SEC in football. And usually there's some guy, there's a Bryce Young or a Johnny Manziel or uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, there's there's usually Tim Tebow, yeah. Tim Tebow Joe Burrow, uh, Cam Newton. There's usually a superstar. And if I had to pick an upset special in terms of this, I might go with Joe Milton of Tennessee. The reason mm-hmm. I say that because he's got this epic arm that creates a sideshow of its own. How far will he throw it? Whose helmet will he knock off? There's that element to him. And then if he turns out to be have a great season, and I don't know that he will, he hasn't proven himself over an entire season in college football. He's been around a while. But if he did that, I could see that happening with him. All right. We'll see, John. And we'll see if the uh, the SEC ever wants to play that ninth conference game or if they just got to keep getting that slam dunk win against directional state U. Uh, We'll be back with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.